This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, the coldest case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from Point Clear, Alabama at the legendary and historic Grand Hotel. I've been looking forward to meet my next guest for a long time. He doesn't even know that, but it's true. Uh, because he is the author of a, a book that became my favorite movie. And it became my favorite movie because I saw in that title character one word, Hope. It gave everybody who ever thought they weren't worth it hope. And it was a perfect movie. It's a movie, by the way, that's 25 years old this year. It's a movie that still holds up. And, uh, and boy, what an amazing movie and what an amazing author. He's the author of Forrest Gump, among 16 other books, Winston Groom. Hello, sir. Good morning. 
and of course a, a, a native of Mobile. That's correct. I know. What gave you the idea to write? I mean, if somebody had, I, I will tell you this. I used to work at Paramount Pictures, by the way, mm. and that's the, and that's the studio that made the movie. That's correct. And if somebody had walked into my office, and I was in development there, and if somebody had walked into my office and pitched me the idea of Forrest Gump, I would have said, get out of the office. This, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's never going to work. I have to hand it to, uh, to, to, to Zemeckis and to uh, Steve Tisch and everybody else who was involved in that, who were, they were able to take that vision of yours and actually make it work as a movie. It was pretty amazing. It was, but how did you get the original concept to do that? Because you're telling really the story of America uh, it, it, through that one character. Well, I mean, there's not any Forrest Gump. It's an imaginary of course. character, but uh, a lot of people think so-and-so is Forrest Gump. I can't tell you how many times people have come up to me and said, was you, are you writing about that? I don't know. But it, the germ of it was, I was living in New York, and I was coming home to see my father, who was getting quite old then. He was an old lawyer here in Mobile, and mother had passed away, so I I would uh, come and visit for a week, two weeks, through a month. And um, on one of these occasions, we were having lunch, and he began to reminisce about his childhood. He was born in 1906, if that gives you an idea. It does. And growing up on the dusty old streets in Mobile, and there were a neighborhood bunch of kids, and one of them was what they used to call retarded. And the, a lot of the kids would throw sticks at him and, make fun of him and so on. And one day, according to my father, this young boy's mother brought him a, a piano. And they started going to the house. And within two days, this gorgeous music came wafting out of the window. And they thought, well, that, that's enough. And they took him under their wing and protected him. And I got to thinking about that. I had just seen... 60 Minutes program about what was called the Idiot Savant Syndrome, where a person basically can't tie their own shoes, but they can do complicated math or memorize things. And I went that evening, I said, I'm going to make some notes. Maybe I can use this. There's a scene somewhere in the book. And I sat down at the typewriter, and by late that night, I'd, I'd finished the first chapter of Forrest Gump. <laughs> So that's how, that's how this thing happened. And, and it just wrote itself. It never it never happened again, probably. I remember Joe Heller told me one time, a Catch-22 wrote itself. I, I found it hard to believe, but this one did. I, I didn't have a net, didn't have notes, outline, anything. I just sit down in the morning and say, what's he going to do today? But that's the interesting thing, because remember what I said in my introduction, that's a movie that gave me hope about the, 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 what people can achieve, what people can do, what people can experience, if they don't just take things in a stereotypical way. Well, yeah, and I did, you know, I wasn't really thinking about that when I, when I wrote that book. I, I was just thinking, basically I had a character, I was thinking, what am I gonna do with him? And I liked the character, and, uh, and then I, I, I thought, well, you know, all of this is a little bit off the wall, and I don't know whether people are going to find this absurd or ridiculous or whether I'm going to be laughed out of the 
the publisher's office or what. But, uh, and I thought, you know, if I got this guy, a perfect idiot, playing football for Coach Bryant up at Alabama, if they believe that, they're going to believe anything. <laughs> and uh, so I, I proceeded on that basis. And, um, but you had him doing everything. You had him walking across America. You had him playing uh, ping pong with the Chinese. The screenwriter had him do that. Huh? The screenwriter had him do that. How about the ping pong? The what, ping pong? Yeah. That was me. That was you. Okay. Yeah. Um, you had the ping pong. What about the shrimp? Yeah, that was me. That was, okay. So other th- Okay. <laughs> but all that stuff. And, and it, was, it was a wonderful canvas to play against because you told the story of the, the latter part of the 20th century. Well... Yeah, I mean, it, I, I put him in episodic uh, things and events. I uh, dropped him in here and there, the, you know, the Vietnam War and the Lyndon Johnson when he put his trousers down and so on, uh, just because I thought it was, it was fun. It was funny. The celebrated author, if you'll allow me to say that, of uh, one of my favorite books and one of my favorite movies, Forrest Gump, when you were inserting him into all these moments in American history, it, was, it just cracked me up because here he was shaking hands with JFK, here he was with LBJ, here he was, you know, in, in the middle of the war, being a hero, uh, coming back, and, of course, his relationship with Jenny, or with Jenny, I should say. And what did you, was there a moment in American history that you didn't want to put him in? No, uh, I just put him where I thought he belonged. I, I mean, it was, as I said, I didn't really plan this thing out like you normally plot out a book. Uh, I, I just, I would just do it spontaneously. I'd say, well... Let's see, this year was that, what happened? And I think, and I put him, let him, let's try him out there and see what happens. And of course, life is like a box of chocolates. That's not my line. I would never write a line like that. That was not your line? The first line in the book is the only mention of chocolates. Yeah, no, because I've had to answer this question a lot. <laughs> and the first line in the book, Forrest is doing a monologue and he says, let me say this, being an idiot is no box of chocolates. Now, the screenwriter took that line, stood it on his head, and we made a billion dollars. <laughs> whatever that movie earned, I don't know. But that's, I hear well, that all the time. Well, the, the, the other it's obvious question, I, I, well, <laughs> speaking of earning a million dollars, but the other question I have to ask you is, do you get any royalties from the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company? Yeah, I don't know what, but it's just small. Go, okay, good, I'm happy to hear some, that. Some portion of all that. That's, that's good to know. Now I'm going to tell you my story because... I was a correspondent for Newsweek for many, many years. I, I traveled all over the world uh, covering all the major cover stories for at least seven years. And then, as I told you before, I was in, in the television business and, and at Paramount Pictures and MGM and developing a lot of the, the, the television shows that people see. But then, of course, I was on NBC for many, many years. I'm now on CBS. And when I was in the green room and, and people would come in before they would do their segment, they'd all say hi to me. And nobody could understand how they knew me because it came from previous elements in you know, history poems in my life, whether it was in, in Asia or whether it was covering a war or, a, or you name it. And so the nickname they gave me at NBC was Forrest Gump <laughs> and because they couldn't understand how you know, John McCain would know me or Henry Winkler would know me. What was that connection? It was crazy. So, and I want you to know that in my office, I'm, just, I'm telling you I'm an unabashed fan, in my office... On the wall is a sign that says, run, Forrest, run, because that's what I think I'm doing these days. And, and so I totally related. What was the best compliment you got from that book? What, when, when somebody read that book, did it change anybody's life? Yeah. I, had, I, I still get every week I got a website, and every week I probably get two or three uh, emails 
people that said it changed my life. And uh, it's, it's very gratifying. I mean, I never, never intended to do that, but uh, it's happened. And over the years, I can't tell you how many, probably thousands, maybe more, I don't, I don't count. But uh, it, 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 it struck a nerve somewhere in so many people. Well, I think one of the reasons why I did that is because every character that you introduced in the book, as crazy as they were because of how they were inserted or how he basically interacted with them, you found a way to do closure. There was a closure with every one of those characters, and, and, and especially in the movie. And so by the end of the movie, he's made peace with Lieutenant Dane. He's made, he's made peace with Jenny. He's made peace even with the memory of her abusive father. He's made, I mean, it goes all, and, and of course their son. Yeah. And, uh, well, yeah, that's what you do. I mean, in novels, you have to do that. You gotta tie up everything at the end. You can't just leave things hanging. People get frustrated and won't read you again. <laughs> we can't uh, have that. <laughs> but no, he, so you got to tie it all up. But I, it, uh, it worked remarkably well, and I was able to do that fairly effortlessly. There, was, there, were, there wasn't anything I had to pull a trick to get a character uh, to get an end to their story. They all sort of naturally fell into place. And to think that it all started here, in, well, not far from here in Mobile, with your dad telling you a story about a kid who was challenged. Yeah, but in, and so there wasn't, you know, a lot of people think, well, who is Forrest Gump? <laughs> he doesn't exist. Or he does exist. He, he exists in, now. In a lot of people. He exists now. But I did not have anybody in mind when I wrote the story who would be Forrest Gump. But Forrest Gump ended up becoming everybody. Well, he just made up himself. Right. But as he made it up as he went along, we got along we got a chance to go along for the ride. Yeah. And and what a ride it was. Winston Groom. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly. Think about let's this hotel. It goes back to 1847. Survived the Civil War fire, Hurricane Katrina. It's got such great history. What's interesting to me about this hotel is as you walk around and you meet the people who work here, what you find out is, as opposed to a lot of other resort hotels, it's not a high turnover rate here in terms of employees. Folks here have worked here for quite a while. And in fact, they are storytellers. And my next guest is one of those storytellers. She's actually the historian here on, on board. She's worked here for 33 years. Am I right, Susan? That's correct. I know. Good morning. Su Good morning, Susan Stein. How are you? I'm great. What brought you here? <laughs> well, uh, my aunt and uncle that lived here on the eastern shore when I decided to move back to this the area. The eastern shore of Alabama. The eastern shore of Alabama. That's correct. Um, we were looking for a home in Mobile, and they said, well, you can't live in Mobile. You have to come to God's country, the eastern shore of Mobile Bay. So once we looked for a home here, we never moved, We never looked any further. So it's home. It's our home. And, of course, Mobile Bay goes back to the 1500s. That's correct. First explored by the Spanish uh, explorers way back when. We're a great point clear on all the maps from way back when it was first mapped. And I'm sure there's some, some interesting shipwrecks out there, too. There are indeed. Um a few out there. There's all. There's even a map that you can look up all the shipwrecks on, and it's just a sampling of what all has occurred here over the generations and hundreds of years. I mean, here we are, many, many years later, in Point Clear, which is really an unincorporated area. It's just hanging out here on the coast. Uh, it's in Baldwin County. It's right. it's a very it's it's 
let me give you the population of Point Clear. Are you ready? <laughs> Go for it. 2,125. <laughs> Not counting hotel guests. And growing. <laughs> and, well, it better be growing at 2,000. That's right. And it's only five and a half square miles. That's correct. Wow. Yeah. So you've been here 33 years. You are the historian. What's the biggest surprise for people as they're walking around the grounds with you that they had no clue about? That's right. They'll come here and they'll say, we had no idea that this beautiful little part of uh, our beautiful country was even here. They love discovering it for the first time. It's a great place to, when they arrive on the property, they just, it's like you turn off your uh your phones and your whatever and you just uh relax and enjoy the ambiance of this beautiful spot on mobile bay right but now let's get down to specifics okay what specifically is here that's historic that, that blows people mind well just the beauty of the area uh, being right here on the water and the the ambiance of the property i know but i don't want to talk about ambiance <laughs> i want to talk about facts i want to talk about civil war i ah. want to talk yeah remember that oh yeah <laughs> okay, because this hotel was built before the Civil War. It didn't That's during right. the Civil War. Yeah, the first property was, that we know of that existed here was built in 1847. Uh, didn't take people long from across the bay to discover this was a great place to uh, come and recreate. And so there's been a hotel continuously since 1847. Now, we're in the third structure that's been here that's been utilized as a hotel, but... Um, it goes does go back to 1847 and of course we mentioned the civil war there's mm -hmm. even a, there's even a civil war cemetery here that's correct now the grand was used as a hospital during the civil war so uh you'd think that those gen those gentlemen that were carried for here might have been from the battle of mobile bay that occurred in 1864 but turned back the clock a year back to the the siege of vicksburg so the soldiers that were carried for here actually were transported along the gulf coast and in not only here at point clear but also mobile but our we had a um uh, the hotel was converted into a hospital, and so those the only little local uh, local cemetery was adjacent to the property, and it's called Point Clear Cemetery, and it was already in existence. Uh, is the local community that was there here, and so the, those soldiers are buried across the street, about a mile from here. And of course, let's let's talk about the Battle of Mobile Bay. That's where the Confederacy lost their last southern port. That's unfortunately true. <laughs> Unfortunately, but, true. Unfortunately, are you true. still flying the flag? <laughs> oh no, <laughs> but I, I, I just hate the thought of even having to have a battle in the first place. But uh, yeah, the Mobile was the last port that was still open during the Civil War, and um, that battle occurred just 19 miles due south of here at the opening of Mobile Bay, between adjacent, you know, at the Gulf Coast. And it was a military fortified area. It was Fort Morgan's and Fort Morgan and Fort Gaines were the two fortifications that guarded the entrance to Mobile Bay, and they. Uh, fought hard to defend uh, their last stronghold and their uh, avenues for shipping that with the southern uh, troops would have been able to receive their supplies and goods further inland. And then there were other wars in which this hotel was used, like Operation Ivory, Ivory Soap. Soap. What is that? <laughs> well, Ivory Soap floats, right? <laughs> I love doing my orientation classes. By the way, I grew up with staff. those commercials. <laughs> And I grew up with those commercials as a kid. It's a soap that floats. And sure enough, my, I hated the soap, by the way. That's it was just, I hated it. But my mom would buy it. And sure enough, you put it in the bathtub and, and it, it floated. floated. Yeah. I grew up with ivory soap as well. Now, the people will look at me with this strange expression when I start telling them about Operation Ivory Soap. So then we have to explain that the Grand Hotel was converted into a military institution during uh, 
1944 and 1945, so we're actually in our 75th year of the Grand Hotel 75 years ago was, was a military training base. Uh, the Army Air Corpsmen who knew how to repair aircraft, they were trained to uh, specifically to uh, train B-29 bombers and P-51 Spitfires, I believe, and uh, they, they came right here to learn how to be sailors. They were about to be shipped off to the Pacific to serve on floating aircraft repair units these floating machine shops that would have been uh, vital to the success against the Japanese during World War, World War II. But they had to come here first and learn all things nautical. Wow. And so someone came with the idea, oh, it was a secret mission. I forgot to mention that part. So they had to have a code name. Someone came up with the idea. There was ivory soap was common back then. And so somebody said, well, ivory soap floats. Let's just name it ivory soap. So that's how it got its name. And, and today you cannot find a single bar of that soap in this hotel. <laughs> well, there may be one because I just bought some last week and brought it in for show and tell. For show and tell. Did you drop it in the water? Did it flow? No, I didn't do that yet. You got to do that. You got to do that. Uh, come on, you got to prove that it flows. I think you're right. I'll add that to my history tour. <laughs> That's right. Just drop it in. There you go. Great idea. I, yeah, because I haven't seen a lot of ivory soap lately. But there he is. It's still, it's still out there. It, yeah. Obviously, because you yeah. still bought it. That's right. Susan Stein, the historian right here at the Grand Hotel. And by the way, you two walks every day here. We do. I have guided tours every morning at uh, 9.30, or at least four days a week, and delighted to share our history with our hotel guests. And if you ask her just nicely, if you just ask her really, really nicely, she'll produce a bar of ivory soap <laughs> and then make her drop it in the water for those people who are too young to remember that it floats. That's right. Now that we've done this ridiculous commercial for a soap that nobody ever uses anymore, I just thought I'd mention it. Well, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. My next guest uh, I've known for a long time. Uh, normally we do this by phone. Every once in a while we actually get to bump into each other because she actually doesn't live too far from here. She's a Birmingham, Alabama girl now. She's the travel editor for Coastal Living Magazine. Tracy Minkin, how are you? I'm great, Peter. It's great to be with you live. Now, you actually moved down here from New England, right? So this is a culture shock for you. This is a brave new world to come down to Alabama, but you love it now. I love the South. You know, I had done a lot of traveling when I lived in New England. I did a lot of road trips through the South. Always found it such a rich, diverse, fascinating, cultural, historically speaking, destination. So it's been fantastic to live in Birmingham and spend time when I'm not out on the road for the my own work, being with people down here and learning a lot about the culture. Great part of the world. And of course, you know, I mentioned Birmingham. Talk about a hot city. They probably have one of the best restaurant scenes I've seen in America in the last five years. It's very exciting. You know, Frank Stitt, uh, who is one of those sort of founding patrons of the new Southern cuisine, started a restaurant there and has spawned really a renaissance, not only in Alabama, but throughout the South. Some of the best Charleston chefs, for example, started with Stitt. And you know, what's interesting is, and I, I go back to my days in Madison, Wisconsin, when I was going to university, because in Birmingham, of course, you got UAB. In the old days, if you wanted really bad food, you went to a university town. It, it was it. It was pizza and fried everything. 
just the opposite now. You want really great food now, you go to a university town. You go to Austin, Texas. You go with UT, and you go to Madison, and you go to Birmingham. Absolutely. I used to live in Providence, Rhode Island, very much the same. You get that youth, you get that diversity of kids coming in, and you get this really expansive, innovative food scene. You're so right about that. Now, here we are at the Grand Hotel that most people don't even know about. Most people have never been here. Most people have never been to Alabama, let alone Mobile, right? But if you drive about an hour east, here you are in a, in a place that's only about five and a half square miles called Point Clear, and here's a hotel that's been around since 1847. It's an absolutely beautiful, and I agree with you, under-the-radar, unexpected gem uh, on the Gulf Coast. And you're so right. You know, this part of Alabama, very, pe- very few people know about, and it's rich with history. This is a glorious hotel. Um, recently restored, maybe we're going to talk about that, but it's expansive and gorgeous, and we've got this beautiful bay right out our window. Well, yeah, the bay's big, Mobile, Mobile, Mobile Bay, but, you know, you talk about the restoration. Let's go back to the history. Mm-hmm. I mean, this place survived the Civil War. There's back, there's actually a Confederate cemetery on the property here. Yeah, there is. Um, this place survived the Civil War. It survived it had a huge fire, and they had to rebuild back in, you know, the, about 50, 60 years. And then, guess what? Hurricane Katrina survived Mm -hmm. that, too. Yeah, it did. One of the fascinating things about being on this property, too, is to be among the live oaks. This is a tree, you know, when you think about the south, you think about Savannah or Charleston, these drapey Spanish moss trees. These oaks. See, the last time I saw that was in Oak Alley in in, in Louisiana, Mm -hmm. all those plantation homes. Exactly. Same trees. Same trees. They're so beautiful. They're so romantic. And they're tough, and they survive these storms. So on this property, we're with trees that are anywhere from 100 to nearly 200 years old. Glorious. All right. This, this hotel, over 400 rooms. It's, it's on 600 acres, so you can bike it, you can hike it, you can kayak it. Totally cool, but it's the history, isn't it? I think so. I mean, I think one of the things we love when we travel, I know you do, I know I do, is to feel connected to a place and to feel like you're part of something that's been going on for a while and is going to go on and that there's culture and character associated with it. And I think that's a big deal here at the Grand. You can feel it everywhere you go. And, of course, the the food here goes back to the old days. Nothing has to always be deep fried. You know, (laughs) there are other things you can do. I don't know. I like I like me some deep fried seafood, but yeah, exactly. No, I do too, but you know what I'm saying. Absolutely. And I think that's when we speak about what has become such a wave of cuisine and innovation, the new Southern cuisine, which really isn't new anymore. But it's taking these classic Gulf seafoods, for example, shrimp, and not just deep frying them or oysters, which are having such a remarkable rebound on the Gulf Coast, such an important part of the restoration of the ecosystem. And then chefs are working with them in such an interesting variety of ways. So, yeah, the eating's fantastic And, of course, you, you forgot one. And for those people who are fans of Forrest Gump, shrimp. Oh, shrimp. Absolutely. Nothing like a Gulf shrimp. Nothing like a Gulf shrimp. And, you know, living in the South, you know, Peter, I go north or I go elsewhere, and if it's not Gulf shrimp, I'm just not going to order it anymore because it's, it's from far away and it's just not the same. It's not as good, not as clean. Yeah, when you go to the menu and it says far away shrimp, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> just, just that little hint. The there. girl with the far away eyes is okay. Yeah, the, the shrimp girl with the far away <laughs> shrimp, run. Run I got for it. your life, yes. But what's, what's cool about this place is, of course, you can use it as a hub. I mean, right, point clear, it's only five and a half square miles. But you have all these other little small communities that are drivable great antiquing, and everything else. Absolutely. You know, they call this the Eastern Shore, 
they call themselves the Eastern Shore. And, of course, we know there's another one well, of those. It, it, uh, some other called, bay. It's called Maryland. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. exactly. But the, it's similar to the Eastern Shore on the Chesapeake in that, yes, you have these little charming towns. They're walkable. They're shopping. There's eating. There's boats. So I think, yeah, this, again, you base here and you scoot up and down the coast, and there's all sorts of things to discover. See, uh, as you know, I'm, I'm a boat junkie. So I like Mobile because you see the old shipyards there, and they're still doing all the repair work, and it's, it's, it's a cool place place plus you got the cruise ships now coming in carnival's now birthing there which is which it's a port yeah absolutely i mean mobile is a very dynamic city it's a very old city as you know and you're probably going to talk about this today um or have already but you know the nation's first mardi gras bit was enacted in mobile there's a lot of history there but it's hopping and i think these these the cruise ship coming in has added a whole nother layer to activity and fun in mobile a lot going on there and of course, the crew, if, if truth be told, the reason why the cruise ships came in to begin with was 9-11, because they had to reposition, the, re reposition their ships out of Europe because nobody was flying anywhere. And as a result, guess what? They had ports that didn't even know they had ports, and Mobile became one of them. That's great. I didn't know that. And um, it's, a, it's been a great opportunity for Mobile. And I think, again, it's a, one of these under-the-radar destinations that really deserves a bigger look because there is so much to do there. Great part of the country. What's the biggest surprise to you about this hotel? I think the thing that surprises me the most is how it has maintained its sense of legacy, that it still feels nostalgic to me, and yet they've really updated it. You know, the rooms are luxurious, the, the cuisine is contemporary and modern, and f the coffee is great. You know, it's <laughs> <laughs> the stuff we love in a new hotel. Um, but I feel the bones of the place, this lodge sensibility here in the main area, I think you feel the nostalgia, and it's really appealing, and I love to see that. So it's been a great surprise. Well, for me, the best combination, uh, you're going to laugh, it's old school charm and the Wi-Fi works. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> totally. And the Wi-Fi is great. It actually is pretty fast. Yes. I know. Uh, and it's walkable. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I love the idea. You know, I've taken the shoreline walk. You know, this, this property is on a point, as we've talked about. And so to wrap around this resort and take this walk wherever you're going is just a beautiful way to experience the water, see the, the weather on the Gulf of Mexico and here Mobile Bay changes all the time. Clouds are piling up, moving off, sun's glinting. It's just fascinating. So it's a real benefit to have all this walking here on the resort. And believe it or not, I mean, it, it, you're going to laugh when you hear this, but I, I do this every time I travel. The gas prices aren't expensive here. Why do you think I live in Alabama, Peter? I drive a small car, I fill it up for $20, and I go 300 miles. That's Alabama. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial.
you know, most of my listeners have not been to Alabama. Most of my listeners have not been to the coast of Alabama. And most of my listeners, and by the way, I include me in this, had no idea about how big golf was in Alabama until you get to Alabama. There is a golf trail here that extends throughout almost the entire state. And joining me now, he's the director of golf at the Lakewood Club, but he knows the whole the, the golf trail better than anybody. Neil Fraser, how are you? Good, good. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, but you know, I, I have to tell you, everybody here just, they cannot stop talking about golf simply because you've got so many courses. Right. Well, you know, back in 1990, there, there was this vision of how do we stop people from driving through the state of Alabama to go play golf in Florida? And now we've built a couple of courses. And then it's like, you know, that was sort of the idea. That was the conception. That was where the trail started, the idea. And it's worked. There's, you know, 11 sites, 26 uh, golf courses, 468 golf holes spread across the state. They're all about an hour and a half apart. It's helped promote tourism real estate you know we have 650 homes getting built around our golf courses it's done great things for the state of alabama and again and it did just that half a million people play golf on the trail a year 250,000 of them from outside the state but the golf course here goes back to what 1947 1947 this is the only private course on the trail it's been around the grand hotel now that's lakewood for, yeah lakewood golf club since 1947 uh, started with 18 holes. They added nine holes in uh, the middle 60s, added another nine in the middle 80s. So now we have two 18-hole golf courses, great tracks, both great golf courses, uh, make it a great golf destination. And you, of course, know that I, my favorite Groucho Marx line is that I would never join a club that would have me as a member. You understand this? So. <laughs> That's a great one. That's it's, a it, great one. Yeah, yeah. You'll use you it. Know, and, and, yeah, we will. We will. <laughs> I'm going to go write that down. But Robert Trent Jones did this yeah. one. Robert Trent Jones Sr. did this. Yeah. Um, this would be late in, his, late, late in his career. This was the Isaiah course here was actually the last course done on the trail and was one of the last ones done by Mr. Jones. Another statistic that I was not aware of, there are over 16,000 golf courses in the United States. That's right. But how many actually do the tournaments? Well, you know, you have your pro tournaments, things like that. Well, That's one of the major events. Right. We, we've, uh, we've managed to... Um, uh, we're going to host the 2020 U.S. Women's Senior Amateur, which is a USGA event. And out of those 16,000 courses, the USGA only has 14 championships. So 14 courses a year get to host a national championship, more one of them, which we're very excited about. All right, so now I have to ask you the most important question, because I am not I, – I, I drive a mean cart, but I'm not a golfer. Uh, miniature golf? <laughs> miniature golf. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I got to go to Myrtle Beach for that. that yeah. Well, I was just going to say, yeah. Myrtle Beach, for every two golf courses they build, they build a putt-putt. I know it. It, it is a stat. We, we, we built a course there, and uh, that was actually a stat the owner told us. Every two courses, because they want to have things for the family to do afterwards. When or idiots like gone. me. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, there, I, said, oh, I, I said it. No, no, I didn't it's, want to it's use okay. that word. It's okay. <laughs> but what are you seeing is the biggest boom right now in, in golf? I mean... Obviously, women's golf has exploded. Right. W women's golf, the, the fastest growing segment in golf is women, especially business women, wanting a place to play. That, that is big. We're still struggling with that 25 to 45 age group. They just don't have time. You know, there's so much competition with soccer, with baseball, with all these different sports and activities. Um, it's hard for that, that, you know, husband to say, hey, honey, I'm going to be leaving the house at 8 o'clock Saturday. I'll see you around 2, 2.30. It ain't happening. You know, when, I'll give you another example. When I was growing up in New York, I did not go skiing. I, because every time I was in school, there were at least six kids in my class who had casts up to their necks. <laughs> and I kept them thinking, probably not a good yeah. idea. So I didn't start at the age of two. Now you go to a ski resort, they got kids out there who are three years old who are skiing. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, well, and you know, everybody wears a helmet now, so yeah. you know everything's safer. Bindings are safer. You know, they, it slows down injuries. It's just like golf technology makes it easier for everybody to play. So you know what? It is easier to play than it is 30 years ago. But you're starting the kids out much earlier now. Oh yeah, we've got programs where we've got those kids three, four, four years old. Uh, we use look at Tiger Woods. I, mean, I'm, I remember the first video of Tiger Woods on on Mike Douglas. That's right. When he did when he and Bob Hope was the guest. That's right. Remember That's that? That's right. Sure. Yeah. And he was on. That's incredible. Yeah. You know, and they showed him swinging a club when, and what he's going to look at him now. Still the biggest draw in golf. Still. Even by today. far, even with that lapse where he disappeared. We have kids at our junior camp, and they're seven years old, so they wouldn't even know Tiger Woods in his prime. And I say, who's your favorite golfer? go, Tiger Woods. They, they wouldn't even know him. He hadn't played in five years. But they're celebrating the comeback. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it is a comeback. So it's great for golf. It really is. It's helping all golf worldwide. I mean, name one other golfer. Think about this. Name one other golfer. Maybe you could who had what happened to him and came back. Ben Hogan. His was a car accident. And look at how great Ben Hogan is revered. You know, Tigers was a little bit Yeah, but bit Ben Hogan was different. 50 years ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, it, again, it was a comeback of the ages. Tigers, though, is, I think I like it because it's more it relates to people. We all have those problems, those things that happen to us. You know, life happens to us. You don't usually see that in some of these sports athletes. Tiger did it and came back from it, you know, a common guy. Unbelievable. Yeah. And now you got to just get him to play the course here. Yeah, that's right. Well, we'll work on that. We're, we're working on, uh, you, know, you know, we've had a lot of celebrities play here. Bob Hope's played here. Gerald Ford's played here. Uh, Clint Eastwood's played here. We've had a lot of celebrities. The, the charge for looking at this pamphlet is $3. <laughs> The charge for looking at this pamphlet and putting it back quickly is $4. I'm joined now by, uh, by a local, uh, by somebody who really is a local, but he's also legendary. I'm honored to have him on the show. The legendary linebacker from the, from the Dallas Cowboys, Leroy Jordan. How are you, sir? Great to be here, Peter. I uh, would excited about being here and being talking to you but you know i mean when we talk about local i mean you you were playing for bear bryant yes i, I mean we're, we're talking university of alabama crimson tide yes uh or i should say I, roll tide yeah <laughs> <laughs> i was a second class coach bryant recruit recruited at alabama so i was early on but what was amazing to me is that your career in the nfl was 13 years i mean from 19 what 19, well 14 years well okay excuse me I yeah, did the, oh, but 1963 14. to 76 yeah that's amazing yeah i mean most people don't 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 have that kind of run well I was very fortunate. I had an injury my uh, first year, my rookie year. I had a punctured kidney, and I missed half of the season. And But after that, I had an injury my second year and had a broken foot, a broken arch, and the doctor put it back together again. The doctor, Dr. Marvin uh, Knight, uh, Marvin Knight, uh, I can't remember some things. It's nowadays. okay. <laughs> but listen, if you're going to be in the NFL, you're going to get injured. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's call that what it is. But you still had a 14-year yeah, run. Yeah, I've had a 14-year. You had, competed in three Super Bowls. Yeah, and I didn't miss a, uh, a game after that. Which is amazing, Two too. seasons, uh, two injuries, uh, and after that, for 12 years, I was injury-free. And think about who you played for, Bear Bryant and then Tom Landry. Tom Landry. With a hat. Yeah. Well, Bear Bryant <laughs> had the hat, too. Yeah. They, they both they, wore hats. They both wore hats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Coach Bryant's was a hound tooth, and uh, uh, Coach Landry wore uh, all all kind of hats. <laughs> and you're wearing you're wearing a Super Bowl ring on yeah, your finger. Yeah, I'm wearing the first Super Bowl ring Dallas ever won. So 1971 Super Bowl six. Where'd they play it? Uh, we played it at uh, Miami, I think. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, born and raised in Alabama, you're a local boy. Yeah, I grew up about 70 miles uh, northeast of here on the farm. Uh, I, I, and you've come up, back. Yeah, I, I get to visit with a lot of relatives and cousins and nieces and nephews that I have uh, still up there in the country. What makes this part of the world special for you? Well, Point Clear is a really special place. Uh, we uh, we uh, located so many college friends that we were, my wife and I were in school together with at Alabama, and we made connections about 25 years ago and uh, bought a condominium down here, and then we uh, just bought a house uh, 20 years ago, and so we've been here long time so making making memories you know well speaking of memories going back to the to that dallas cowboy era who yeah. were your heroes well uh don meredith was my hero and dandy dandy don dandy meredith. don meredith <laughs> monday night football famous you know he made it famous he did yeah howard Cosell was the grumpy guy dan was the color guy yeah he, he, he was made the color you laugh. guy he made you laugh he made you laugh uh, every second of the night, you know. <laughs> he was a great guy. and uh, I You know had, what it was? It was You had Don Meredith, you had Fra uh, Howard Cosell, and you had uh, um, was Frank, Frank Gifford. Gifford. Frank Gifford. Frank Gifford. Frank Gifford kind of like coasted through the game. Yeah. He, he didn't even know half the game was being played. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. And then, and then, and then Don just made jokes. He, he just made jokes fun of everybody <laughs> and made jokes with everybody and i remember those mustard colored blazers they were yeah ugly yeah, it was really it ugly kind of ugly i know what was the toughest game you ever played uh i guess uh the toughest game to accept was the loss to baltimore in the super bowl five that wasn't johnny unitas was it oh yes it was it was yeah but his replacement came out and did a number on us. We kind of knocked him out of the game, and uh, we shouldn't have because <laughs> we were playing better than uh, with him in there than we were with his replacement. So basically uh, the second stringer beat you. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought I'd mention that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a tough battle, and I, I think they uh, kicked a last-minute uh, field goal to win the ball game by three points. And so, well, you know, we had our shots at winning uh, that Super Bowl, but we turned around and came back the next year and won Super Bowl six. so that was a, a real good. That was vindication. Yeah. Yeah, vindication. But the real vindication is lifestyle, and here you are in Point Clear. Yeah, uh, we love it down here. We have a home on the bay over here, and uh, got my boat ramp and boat and everything. And I can go out in the bay anytime I want to, and and watch sunsets from here on the Mobile Bay. It's really a exciting place to live. And do you still watch football? Yes, I do. I can't wait to see them get started. Really? I'm bored to death you want, these you, last two you want, months. You, you want to handicap the next season for me? No. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't do that. <laughs> I don't bet. No, not bet. <laughs> oh, just just okay. tell me who you think is going to do well this year. Well, I, I'm hopeful that our Cowboys are going to improve and uh, get a shot at the playoffs and 
and be successful this year. And uh, Dak Prescott has become a, a really good he, quarterback. He settled I think. in. He settled in. Yeah. And I hope we uh, have a uh, offense coordinator that uh, can use his abilities to the best interest of the team and, you know, make everybody better. And, and maybe you'll even go to a game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. My next guest is the statewide, I love your title, the statewide life and culture reporter for AL.com, which is really part of the, of the Mobile Press Register. It is. Michelle Matthews, how are you? Hi, I'm fine. You've seen all the changes that have gone on, not just in this hotel, but in this region. Yeah. I mean, it's exploding now. It, it, it really is. And sometimes I have to um, kind of take... You know, sit back and take a, a broader well, look. Pl- well, plus you're a Mobile native, so... Yeah, I, mean, I kind of take it for granted, but when I um, was thinking about coming here, I, you know, really realized as I drove over from Mobile to uh, Fair, through Fairhope and down here to Point Clear, really realized how many changes, uh, you know, have happened in the past 25 years or so that I've been working. Well, I'm a big fan of not driving on interstates. I'm a big Mm -hmm. fan of getting on two-lane roads and seeing America the way it's meant to be seen. You can do that in Alabama. You really can, yeah. Um, Last week, my husband and I had had gotten him tickets to a concert at the Wharf Amphitheater in Orange Beach. Now, where's where's Orange Beach? Oh, sorry. Orange Beach is just south of here um, on the – actually on the – on the Gulf of Mexico. See, the beautiful um, thing about Alabama is you ask people directions, it's, it's just east of here, just west oh, of yeah. here, just south of here. You know, right? I mean, but everything is. It I is. Um, and normally it takes an hour to drive from Mobile down to Orange Beach. And I'd gotten him tickets and didn't even think about the fact it was a Wednesday night. But it was the night before the Fourth of July, and everyone from Texas and Louisiana was coming, you know, going I-10 east. Um, and luckily, we knew all the back roads, and um, you know, we were able to kind of circumnavigate all the traffic and, and get there. Um, and today, I was thinking how when I got off the, the Bayway, as we call it, across the Mobile Bay, um, I came scenic 98. That's just what I always do <laughs> instead of the 98. Big, except the big one. Yeah. <laughs> I always want to do the two-lane roads. It's the yeah. only way to see it. It really is. Yeah. It really is. And by the way, when you, the total population of Point Clear is under 2,500 people. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have rush hour. No. No, not not down here, not no. so much. <laughs> now what? A, now this is a hotel that goes back to 1847. Yes, amazing. It's been here on this same site. What 100? I, I don't do math, but 170 something years. Yeah, um, close. So yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's 172 amazing. years. I just did the math. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and I failed math. So I'm very proud of myself right now. That's... But I mean, you've seen all the changes in terms of the renovations too. Yes, I have. Um, yeah, I. Um, I don't have a lot of experience here as a guest. <laughs> um, you know, this the the Grand has always been such a um, even for for a lot of locals, people in Mobile, they might not have actually been here before because that gate is very intimidating. Um, and I think that's something they really uh, the managers have told me that they want to change. They want people to feel some ownership of this place and to come in here and eat. Um, you know, and come as as a guest, not necessarily an overnight guest, but come use the spa. And um, anyway, it's but it, it does have that. Um, there's there's something. So what kind you're of, telling me is that the walls coming down. 
I think so. I, I wow. think so. Um, I'm all in favor of walls coming down. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. But but I guess you know, growing up, we uh, I was lucky enough that my grandparents had a summer house over here on the. No, I'm sorry, great grandparents <laughs> had a little summer cottage, very modest little cottage on the bay, and we came over here, and that was our, you know, introduction to a lifelong love of the bay. And uh, and by the way, when somebody talks about a, you know their grandparents or their aunt having a summer cottage on the coast, mm-hmm. and by the way, I had the same experience back on the East Coast, the one thing that when I ask everybody this question, they always remember it so distinctly, mm-hmm. right, is the closing of the screen door. <laughs> it's true. It When you hear the... Uh, that, that slam. Sl- that slam yeah. of the screen door, you know <laughs> it's summer and you're at the cottage. Right. <laughs> That's true. And it's such a wonderful... Uh, it's emotional. Memory for it's me. emotional. It yeah. really is. It didn't have air conditioning. It had the of old jalousy windows. Of course it didn't have windows, air conditioning, no. you know, um, But it wonderful. had a porch. It and had it, a porch. Of course it had a porch where we slept, Yeah. But where the kids slept. But um, So I was, you know, that was a real modest way to grow up on the Bay. I didn't grow up as a guest here. But always, this always had a mystique, you know, the, the grand. So what you're trying had. to tell me today, Mich, is that they let you in the gate today. <laughs> so they let I me in. I want to make sure we're okay. I, I dropped your name and they let oh, me oh, in. Oh, that was a mistake. <laughs> Security's already been called. Don't worry. But, uh, yeah, so, it, you know, but I have come here for a few special occasions, um, you know, weddings, and um, I've been a guest here some. So I knew how how the place used to smell and, and, you know, this distinct smell and and look and feel of the Grand Hotel. And so I did, I wrote, I kind of got to break the news that the Grand was going – about to undergo a $32 million renovation um, in January of 2017. And I, you know, got a tour. They had already started just a little bit. They had been planning this for years, um, but they had started gutting all of the rooms and they did it building by building, um, you know, and with as little disruption to the, to guests as possible. They really did a a great job with that and didn't really change the, the look, you know, the outside of the building's, is the same nor um, should they change it no they no oh, they couldn't dare really change yeah. it but but then the inside is it's the best of both worlds because it's like a brand new everything's brand new and yet it's still old and charming and wonderful i don't want to sound like i'm stereotyping but i will <laughs> but i like it by the way mm-hmm. when i come to this hotel i speak more slowly <laughs> because bet, yeah. people speak more slowly to me yeah it's i mean it's gonna i know it's gonna sound so I mean, but it's like, it's almost a caricature, but it's not. It's like, how are you? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. You do kind of slow down here, um, especially right here. That's I love to come here for work because it's, you that's know, it feels like a vacation. Of course, yeah. <laughs> but the bottom line is you. two things happen here. You speak more slowly and mm-hmm. you get involved in more conversations. Mm-hmm. You talk that's to true. people. Yeah, that's true. It's true. And and this is this place is very very conducive to that and um and just look around i mean it's a kind of a rainy day today but it's just so beautiful it's your eye it's just you know overwhelming almost but you see the beautiful thing about a summer rain is that an hour later yeah the air smells differently mm-hmm. and especially if you're on the water that's true and it's 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 the it's like the the ions go nuts yeah and it, and it works <laughs> mm-hmm. and it works where do you want to take me for breakfast, lunch, or dinner that I don't know about? Um, well, I'm going to take you in, in Mobile, which is... is about an hour home. from here. About, yes. Well, 45 minutes across the bay, depending on the traffic. There you go. Um, but, yeah, in Mobile, I think you would need to... Um, we would need to go to Ed's... Uh, I'm sorry. It's not Ed's. 
Bob's Downtown Diner. Yeah, don't go to Ed's. <laughs> no, bad news. No, there is a, there's a good Ed's on the causeway, but but uh, Bob's Downtown Diner is a, a really uh, cute cute little diner, very local, right in the heart of things going on in downtown Mobile, and um, you know you can get a great breakfast there. Kind of tradi- nothing um, nothing real fancy, um, but just just good food and a in a real neat little and atmosphere. lunch. Lunch, I would have to take you to the Dewdrop Inn, which is... Well, the name alone gets me in. Yeah. Well, it's it's Mobile's oldest restaurant. Um, things there don't change a lot. And I kind of liken the Dewdrop... You know how um, you know how your dog can kind of sniff out a, a good person? Yeah. Can let you, you know... Well, the, the Dewdrop is a good judge of people, too. If they don't like the hot dogs at the Dewdrop, something ain't right with them. Um, the They're not fancy... They're those pink weenies <laughs> on a toasted bun with their homemade chili and sauerkraut and mustard and ketchup and a pickle on top. And you have to get homemade onion rings with the with that. Oh yeah. Um, but it's it's a great it's a great place. And then last but not least, I'm gonna have Steve join on the show a little bit later. Mm-hmm. The moon pie. Yeah, moon pies are a, a big deal. We've got a big, a giant moon pie on the top of our, not our tallest, but one of our, one of our downtown buildings. As you would. Where are the wagons? The wagon is too slow. Can't you ride? It's not that he can't ride. How is it you put it home? They're dangerous at both ends and crafty in the middle. Why would I want anything with a mind of its own bobbing about between my legs? For those of you who think, uh, Mardi Gras started in New Orleans. We have news for you. It did not. It happened, and I'm going to pronounce this right, in Mobile. Correct. (laughs) Did I do that one right, Steve? You got it. And Steve joined as the editor of Mobile Mask Magazine. But you are all things Mardi Gras. I I try to be. Uh, Mobile Mask, I I try to make it the go-to place for information about Mardi Gras. And believe it or not, there's an appetite for Mardi Gras information all year long around here. Now, what makes it different than the New Orleans Mardi Gras? Oh, you know, we have our own traditions. Um, there are, there are very, a lot of things that are very similar. Um, somebody from Mobile can go to New Orleans and participate in Mardi Gras and know exactly what's going on and, and, and vice versa. But, you know, for example, a lot of the organizations in New Orleans do not have their fancy dress ball on the same night that they parade. Here, you wouldn't think of not doing it on the night you parade. I gotcha. It's the but, little things like that. But what that. is that night, by the way, every year? I, it depends on your organization. I mean, we in, in the Mobile Cause, area. Because, for example, in New Orleans, you know, any excuse for parade, they're going to do it all year long. Oh, sure. But in Mobile. We love a parade as well. <laughs> we really do. You really haven't been to a place that loves a parade more than Mobile. Uh, and, and the carnival season, of course, starts on Twelfth Night or after Twelfth Night um, and goes until the day before Ash Wednesday, which is Fat Tuesday. And so you're actually doing it the same day that, that New Orleans is. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, the, 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 the dates of Mardi Gras. May change, but it's always well, going to be change, Fat Tuesday. It's always, always going to be Tuesday. Right. It's always universal. And our parading actually starts about a month before Fat Tuesday on a t- tiny barrier island off of uh, Mobile County called Dauphin Island. And they have a parade almost exactly one month before Fat Tuesday, and then they have a second parade the next weekend. Now, of course, in New Orleans, I've long been a fan of the King Cakes. Of course, got to find the got to find the baby, right? That's right. What to, that's what you got to do. Right. But uh, obviously, a radio tape, my audience can't see the shirt that you're wearing, but I have long been familiar with the moon pie. 
that is a mobile tradition. Absolutely. Uh, it, and in fact, we now on New Year's Eve, we, you know, everybody lowers something, it seems like, right? You know, a peach or a lobster or this or that. We lower a moon pie, a giant <laughs> moon pie. Okay. For those of you who have never had a moon pie or have ever seen one, Steve, why don't you explain what a moon pie is? It's basically two soft, crumbly cookies with marshmallow in between, and the whole thing is covered in chocolate. That's like a Malamar. That's I grew up with Malamars in New York. That was an Nabisco cookie. Call it whatever you want. Except it's a moon pie. <laughs> Here it's a moon pie. <laughs> but they're large. And, and getting bigger all the time. I mean, there's double-deckers and triple-deckers now. I don't know how you eat one without something to drink. Well, there's a, a double decker, to drink. there's a triple decker, and then there's a paramedic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, exactly. let's call it what it is. Exactly. How big are these moon pies in terms of the size? Uh, what would you call that? I mean, that's a that's a average, basic. Okay. About the size of a small basketball. <laughs> they're big. <laughs> they're, they're good size. And, and there are people on the parade route who don't want anything but... Um, it, you know, one thing one thing that people around the country have to realize is that we don't have a parade unless we throw stuff. In fact, we look at the Macy's parade, the Thanksgiving parade, and go, "Why? Well, why aren't they throwing anything?" Right. There's where's the beads? Where's the moon pies? So we have a variety. Oh, you're, you're throwing moon pies. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a throw. It's moon, a throw. Oh, the moon pie is a throw. Uh huh. Yeah, a very popular one. I mean, there are certain parts of the parade route where you just may as well put the beads away and just haul out your moon pies because that's what they want. Right. Uh, now, and, if you catch, they'll when, let you know. Now, if you catch one, you have to eat it, of course. Well, sure, or take it home. I mean, you know, there's so much stuff being thrown. There are people literally walking home with trash bags full of stuff. So, I mean, you can't <laughs> eat it all. And of course, if you get it, it's popular now to throw ramen noodles. How'd that happen? Wait, who got in that one? You know, they're cheap. To, to for the for the maskers to purchase and people like getting them because you can go home you can cook them and then you can have moon pies for dessert <laughs> you got this down you to get a plan. the whole meal you, you the got this down to a plan. meal unbelievable all right but moon pies are dangerous i mean you're going to gain weight oh <laughs> dangerous i thought you were going to say no you're not going to get hurt no, by you, a moon pie have, you, you, well you i have known have you been hurt by a moon pie i have known people to say uh, i i this black eye i think i got from a moon pie but you know it, it was probably a triple decker should there be a rapid change in cabin pressure oxygen masks will automatically drop from the compartment above your seat free of charge and to start the flow of oxygen, pay your flight attendant $75.63. It's interesting as you walk around this hotel because it's on 600 acres. Uh, and the first thing you notice if you look around, you're not just looking down at the carpet, is the artwork. And uh, much of the art right here belongs and was done by a man named Nal Hollis, but everybody knows him as Nal. And uh, he's been around for a long time. He's a local boy. Uh, born in 1948, lives in the area, not far. We, we, we've talked about a, a Fairhope before, but that's where you are. And uh, now my question for you is this. It's, you know, when I, when I look at the definition of the words hotel art, I usually hate it. Uh, it's usually like, you know, uh, one more Courier and Ives print that I've seen every time somewhere else. Or it's uh, the dogs playing poker in some hotels. <laughs> you may remember those. But you don't just have one piece hanging here. How many pieces do you have hanging here? Well, there's no telling. There's, uh, there's three or four pieces in every room, 500 rooms, plus there's an all gallery in the mezzanine. 
And You've been busy. I've been real busy. <laughs> so we're talking over 2,000 pieces. Easily. Wow. And they're, all, and they're all different. Yeah. Wow. Now, here's my other stupid question. There are some hotels that have turned into quasi-art galleries themselves. There's the 21C in Louisville, many other hotel galleries like that, where they actually have their own curators. Yeah. And when you're staying in a room, and if you like the piece, you can buy it. Yes. Does that happen here? Sure, it does. I took a... I kind of copied the idea from the uh, a hotel in the south of France, the Colombe d'Or. I know it. The Golden Dove. Yes. And they have a lot of works by famous artists and some of my work as well. And I said, well, if, if the French Riviera can do it, why can't the Redneck Riviera do it? <laughs> and the Revi Redneck Riviera did it. They did. I'm so glad you said the words Redneck Riviera before I did, by the way. Well, you know, coming from here, we can do it. <laughs> <laughs> so... How is your work distinguishing itself? I mean, what are you actually? What does what, what the actual artwork look like? What is it? What what is it? What does it makes it different? It's not abstract. It's figurative. Uh, it has frames around it that are very complex with mosaics and from pine cone petals laid down like roof tiles, to Venetian gold mosaics and and anything in between fabrics, whatever. But. Are you doing still life? Or are you doing uh, what are we doing? Still lives, portraits, uh, landscapes—you name it. You know? Well, you got the coast. Yeah, you got the coast. There are a lot of, of beach scenes here, seascapes, whatnot. What's the What's the most surprising thing for you as you as you do your art that this location allows you to do? The most surprising thing is if I'm working outside, it's too hot, and I sweat onto my watercolors. Well, we can't have that. Well, we have to. <laughs> so, headbands, <laughs> towels. <laughs> and recently, I've started work for taking photographs. When I hit 70, I said, you know, I can't do this anymore in the heat. So I go out and take photographs of what I want to do, especially in the swamp areas around here. And... Uh, paint from that in, in my studio. In air your air-conditioned studio. studio. I knew that yeah. was coming. <laughs> and when you do the portraits, who are the portraits of? Well, everybody from the Duchess of Bedford to uh, Madame Pompidou in France to the janitor of the hotel. Really? Yeah. You know. And where is that hanging? Where is that piece which hanging? Which one? The janitor. In my studio. <laughs> it didn't make it to the walls of hotels yet. But it's going to go? Well, I mean, it's a beautiful piece. Yeah. Mose T, all the Alabama artists that I've admired. I did a whole series of portraits of Alabama artists from Frank Fleming to Mose T, Jimmy Lee Suddeth, and the others that have gained a lot of recognition that I've been collecting f since the 70s. Now, you know, the one thing about this hotel, which also distinguishes it, is you have a lot of employees who've been here for more than 25 years. Yeah. So they're all, they're all subjects for your portraits, if you want. Anybody that has an interesting face, yours isn't so bad. Turn, let me see your profile. <laughs> you want the profile? How's, yeah, how's that? That'll do. I'm off mic now. How about that? Is that good? <laughs> Does that work for you? So, so I could sit for you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Would it hang on the wall here? No, it would go home <laughs> with you. <laughs> That's right. You buy it, you take it home. That's it. That's it. Goes in my gallery. I do a lot of commission pieces, right? And um, I, from houses of the upper bourgeois here in Alabama to lake houses to their gardens, and you know, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot. And of you've been variety. doing that how many years here now? Uh, 
51. So basically, the most recent history of the hotel is told through your art. Yeah, for sure. I mean, amazing. And what's the one overriding lesson that you've learned doing all these about this location? That I picked the right profession. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Farian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them? and not the man pulling the strings. Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.